Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 1 through 14. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconia and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa and the son of Shaphan and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters, Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you, in my name, I do not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the reading of God's word. You know, I was in a conundrum because um, yeah, you kind of know the, the church over the years and, and um, you know, it's, it's very seasonal, summer, fall, winter, and and it's always at the end of the summer, like um, we're trying to max out our summer vacation. So I always knew that, that people uh, will be away and trying to go on vacation just before school starts or, or the fall starts. And so it, it was hard because um, I'm starting this new series here. And I didn't really want to start it till uh, September, right? And so <clears throat> I was trying to uh, figure out what to do for the next couple of weeks. You know, you never watch a, a TV show where, where there's like 20 episodes and, you know, it's all connected, there's a plot, but because they need to put out 20 episodes and they can't, they put in filler episodes, right? And so I was trying to figure out, I mean, what, what filler episodes can I put in today uh, to just kind of, you know, move on into the fall so I can get started on, on, this, on this series here that I've been working on and, and looking at. And um, I couldn't do it. Um, I couldn't do it because once I started preparing a sermon, I just got into it and it just became another thing. And so I've decided to go ahead and, and start the new series I, I really want to start fall because I want most people, the most people I could get to listen, because um, I think this is an important thing. And, and I used to think it's not that important, or it's just a kind of a given, but the issue of the topic here, the series here, is about hope. If you were here last week, um, that's what we said the Lord's Prayer ended up with. That's why it's so spiritual, such a prayer, so otherworldly, so ethereal even, you know, you might think how practical it is but it was meant to be given to us as, as, as a message of hope, a prayer of hope. 
And hope is, I think, especially today in our culture, in our context, maybe even in your life, uh, it's more important than you think. It's more important than I thought, right? Because we all live by some kind of hope. We all need some kind of hope, uh, some kind of encouragement. And um, I think it's important that we understand that the Bible actually has some very concrete and very real, I guess, perspectives on what Christian hope ought to look like, uh, how it works in our lives, and how we get it. So <clears throat> this series, going forward, three things I want to cover, not in the sermon, but three in the following weeks. Hope, Christian hope. What is it? Right, that's the first Sunday. Why we need it? How do we get it? That's the second one. And then lastly, how does it affect us? How should it affect us today? Okay? So that's what we're going to do here in this passage. <clears throat> we're going to look at Christian hope. It's an introduction. This is not a filler episode, right? But I do need to take some time and so uh, break into it. It's an introduction to hope. And the question that I want to answer today is this. Christian hope, what exactly is it? How does it work in our life today? Okay? So we look at this very famous passage here. In Jeremiah, you've heard this, we've preached from this many times, um, and uh, I just need to give you the background of what's going on here in the prophet Jeremiah during this time of Judah or Israel, God's people. So at this time, the background here is this. King Jehoiakim, right, was at the time uh, king of Judah. But it was only three months into his reign that Babylon, this other nation, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, takes hold of Jerusalem, and takes over Judah, okay? This happened around 602-603 B.C. You can look it up in Jewish history. So around the 6th century, 7th century, Babylon then and its king invade God's people, right? And what they did was they deported many of the residents of Jerusalem and Judah. They, they, they took them uh, and then sent them back and spread them out. Babylon took their king, Right? Babylon took the king's mother, uh, the king's wives, and many other officials from the land. And they also, according to our passage, they captured the craftsmen, the, the soldiers. They looted the treasuries of the temple. Remember temple? That's what their center of worship, Jerusalem. Uh, Solomon's temple, the big place of the palace. They took it over. They took everything out of it. And King Jehoiakim and his family now are gone. Now, what they did back then was uh, when the country takes over a nation, they didn't just enslave them. It wasn't quite what we think it is, like they come in and now everyone's in chains. No, they have control over them, but oftentimes they let them go on with their basic lives. The only thing is they change the ruler, a ruler who could rule over that place but still represent the leadership of Babylon, an under king, or we call a vassal king. So Babylon sets up a regent king, a vassal king, an under king, Zedekiah. That's why you hear it's about Zedekiah after Jehoiakim's taken out. And so Zedekiah is also Jewish, right? Uh, but what happened to Zedekiah is this. People around him, his prophets, his, his, his soldiers, his, 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 I guess his strategists were saying, hey, we're under captivity right now. They've got control, but if we put it together, we could fight back. And we could take back right, uh, Jerusalem. We could take back our nation. And, and so that's what they were urging King Zedekiah now, and um, they, were, they were trying to plan for this. But Jeremiah, the prophet of God, comes in and he tells Zedekiah, don't do it, right? Don't do it. Don't fight against them, okay? Uh, 
And Zedekiah didn't like that message, so Zedekiah puts uh, the prophet Jeremiah in prison, all right? He was accused of desertion, he was accused of insurrection, and now he's in prison. So here, Jeremiah is in prison, and the prophets of Zedekiah told him, don't worry about it, keep fighting, we can win, we can take it back. It, this is only a temporary setback. They took some stuff, they took some people, but we'll get it back all maybe in a year or so. And Jeremiah kept saying, even in prison, to the king, no, this is not just a military issue, this is a spiritual issue. Because the people of God are no longer acting like the people of God. And so the Babylonian invasion is not going to be just a temporary setback. Right? So what happens? Jeremiah was right. The Babylonians hear about Zedekiah's plan to fight back, so they come back in again, and at this time, they completely wipe out the, the country. And Zedekiah and his men, they had to run for the Jordan River, but they were captured. And then his leaders, uh, Zedekiah and his leaders, were taken before the king in Syria, and right in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. Zedekiah's sons were killed in his presence. Uh, he, Zedekiah, the king, was blinded. He was imprisoned until his death. The walls and the houses of Jerusalem were completely destroyed. The temple was sacked and burned. The people that lived in Judah, except for the poorest of the land, were now deported to Babylon. And thus, in the history of Israel, begins the Babylonian exile. Judah lost its status as a kingdom, and they became a Babylonian province. So the people of God, Israel, they had no more land, they had no more king of their own. They had to live under a foreign, tyrann tyrannical king. There was no more temple in Jerusalem, and they were living like foreigners in a foreign land. They're exiled. And in the midst of this historical circumstance, as Jeremiah sits in prison, misunderstood, persecuted, hunted down, labeled and deride, derided as a, an insurrectionist, he will proclaim some of the most powerful words of hope found in the entire Hebrew Bible. He writes this letter, and that's what Jeremiah 21, 29 begins with. He writes this letter to the people of God. And you know this passage because in this letter, verse 11 is the famous verse of hope. He writes them to this. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Right? Life was tough for the people of God now. Right? It was hard. Circumstances were difficult. And Jeremiah writes this letter of hope. In fact, in chapters 30 to 33, what Jeremiah writes is called the book of consolation or the book of hope. Now, here's the thing. Let's look at very carefully verse 11. You've heard this verse before. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for evil, but to give you a future and a hope. And oftentimes you've heard this, and maybe he said this, and you've, you've received this. But I'm going to say this. This verse has been used by Christians often as words of encouragement to one another, but it's taken out of context. This verse, I've got plans for you, for your welfare, for a future and a hope, this verse does not mean that the Lord is going to make everything good for you today and you can count on it. 
This verse is not a feel-good Christian proverb. In fact, the recipients of this letter, if you lived back then and you got this letter from Jeremiah, it really didn't sound very encouraging. In fact, I think they were very discouraged after they got this letter. I think it would have broken their hearts. Why? Because look at it says in verse 10. For the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, then I will come. 70 years. These are God's people who have been taken into exile by Babylon, and this letter is telling them that their circumstances are not going to change anytime soon. In fact, they're going to be in captivity for a lot of those people. They're going to be in captivity for most of the rest of their lives. Nothing is going to change for 70 years. And that's why, you know, if you look at verse 8 and 9, there are these false prophets who are trying to say, no, no, just a year, just one more year, just two more years. Don't worry, let's hang in there. And Jeremiah says, 70. 70. Can you imagine this? How is that supposed to be hopeful if you're living? Think about this, you know. Pandemic may seem far away, I mean, but we still hear about it. Some of you are still affected by it, by it and the economy is maybe even still reeling in, in front of it, but remember the whole year of quarantine? I remember when it happened, I was, I was thinking, this is just for a few days, but then it went for a few weeks, and I was like, okay, just, just a few more weeks, and then it went for a few months, and then a whole year. What if someone told you that that quarantine, they told you, this is what it's going to be like for the next 70 years, right? Not just a year. Next 70, for most of us, the rest of our lives, quarantine. How is that hope? How is that a message of hope? And let me ask you in your personal lives, okay? What if a year from now, nothing changes in your circumstance? What if a year from now, 70 years from now even, your circumstances have not changed? And I think one of the lessons we learn here is this. If you're hoping that your circumstances are going to change and that's going to make you feel better. I would suggest, according to Jeremiah and what we're going to learn, you're putting your hope in the wrong place. In the wrong place. What is hope? Here's the problem with trying to understand hope. Because anytime you look at the word hope in English, it's translated from the Greek word elpis. But that Greek word elpis is a lot more complicated, a lot bigger than the English word hope. It never translates well in our English word hope because the word hope in English is, is too weak. It's too weak. For example, we use that word all the time. I hope you feel better, right? I hope you get an A in that class. Oh, I hope she likes me. I hope to make a difference in the world. Oh, I hope, I hope this marriage makes it. I hope to get a raise. I don't know, I, I hope. I hope we have world peace one day. Every day we use that small, magical word, hope. And if I were to ask you, well, you hope for these things, but are you sure that it's going to happen? And you'd respond, no, I'm not. I'm not sure. But I hope. I hope it'll happen. So when we use the word hope in English, immediately in that word hope is an element of uncertainty. Are you certain? No, but I hope. 
This is why understanding Christian hope is different because the word is a little bit different. It's different. Christian hope is different from our understanding of hope. And what we see here are two elements to this hope, okay? First, Christian hope is based on a plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. There's a plan. God had told his people in exile he had a plan for them. And I'm going to say this. I can be pretty sure he has a plan for you. The thing is, it just might not look like anything you've planned. But the trust is, maybe it's a far better one. But there's a plan. Okay? And that's the first thing that we see about God's uh, promise here. But the second thing about Christian hope is not that there, there's been a plan, but there's also there's promises. Christian hope is based on promises. And the promise here is in goodness. Look, you know the, the next book or the book right uh, before this or right after this is uh, the book of Lamentations. You ever heard of the Lamentations? If you ever read it, lament. It means to say, it means to cry out. It was written by Jeremiah. It was written for the people in uh, Judah that were in exile so they could have something to cry out to the Lord. And you look at Lamentations chapter 3. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. This is a promise to the people of God about what? His goodness. Even in the midst of 70 years of exile, they were told to look at this over and over again. And that's what we're to do the same. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Psalm 145, 9. First Chronicles 16. Give thanks to the Lord. For why? Because he is good and his love endures forever. Psalm 105, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God's hope, Christian hope, is, doesn't mean that he just has a plan, but it also has promises. And the promises, the general promises that he is, is that he is there and he is still good. The Lord promises to be with us. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Can you imagine these promises to a people 70 years in exile? They were told to remind themselves of this over and over again. Why? To maintain hope. And so Christian hope is never wishful thinking. It's not based on positive feelings. It's not even based on how much faith you have. Christian hope depends on the reliability of the one who's making these promises. Christian hope is based on a God who is really there, a God who has left you good and sufficient reasons to know and to trust him. And I'm going to say it, if the whole Jesus Christ Christian thing isn't reliable, if it's not trustworthy then it's not worth our hope. Plan and promise. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, to give you a future and a hope. Seventy years later, if you read the history of, Jew, of, of Judah and Israel, the Jews are free from Babylonians. Seventy years later, they're free. God kept his promise, we learn. And they're freed, ironically, how? By the Persians. And they were allowed to return to Jerusalem. But the thing is, when the people finally, they're all spread out, but now they're all going back to Jerusalem, 
But when they returned to Jerusalem 70 years later, nothing was as good as it was before. The temple was in ruins. They had no money to rebuild it. The people were in shambles. They were poor because the economy was so bad. And they had all these leaders that just continued to fail and fail and fail. And so even after God gives them what they wanted 70 years later, when they get there, they had questions. Is this the hope? Is this the future that God promised? Is this what we waited for for 70 years? This can't be it. This can't be it. And so from then on, the people of God, even though they weren't in exile anymore 70 years later, even though they got to go home to Jerusalem, they still did not feel at home. They still felt like exiles. They still longed for something better than Jerusalem, a better land. They still yearned for a a better leader, a better king like David was. And they still needed to be better people. Fast forward to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 3, here comes this person, Jesus Christ. The very first thing he preaches is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus introduces the better land. Nothing less than the kingdom of heaven. He promises to make a better people for himself. But this time, not just Jews, but Gentiles. How? By faith in him. How can Jesus say this all these years later? Because he's the king. He's the better king like David that the people of God in Jeremiah were looking really forward to. How does this king do this? How does this king make his promises sure? John chapter 14, verse 2, Jesus says, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? This king goes away. He goes all the way to the cross. He gives up his life for his people. He removes the barrier of sin. He brings them this heavenly home. The one that Jeremiah was always looking forward to. Remember what Jeremiah says, you're not evil, you're welfare, a future and a hope. It's Jesus who endures the evil for the welfare of his people. It's Jesus, the king, who hangs on a cross, looking hopeless in order, by his free grace, to give you hope, a future and a hope, and is nothing less than the hope of heaven. Okay. I'm done with the Bible study, all right? Are you following me? Are you still with me? (laughs) This view of Christian hope, it it counters this misconception. Like, there are people out there that says religion and spirituality are based on myths and feelings, but science is based purely on reason and rationality. Sam Harris, an atheist, wrote a book called The End of Faith and another book called Letter to a Christian. He quotes a young woman who wrote on his website who says this, quote, As far as trying to rationally prove that God exists, I don't even try. So how do I know God exists? She says, I feel him. So Harris rips that apart, and he says, that's how Christians are. That's how we believe. We just feel it. Harris says, tell a devout Christian that his wife is cheating on him, or that frozen yogurt can make a man invisible, and he's going to require evidence just as much as anybody else. Evidence. 
But tell him to accept the Bible seems like he requires no evidence at all. It's just feeling. So Harris's world is divided neatly between two categories of people. There's the reasonable, rational people like him who actually think through the issues, come to the right conclusion that faith is crazy. And on the other hand, there are people who are irrational, dumb people who don't think through the issues and therefore mistakenly conclude that there must be a God. That's what he wants to say. But we're seeing shown here in the Bible, hope in God is never pulled out of thin air. Hope in God, Christian hope, is based on a particular history with God. A history that gives God's character, provides reasons why we should trust God and place our hope in God in the first place. In the Bible, let me just say this, science and faith are never mutually incompatible quests. Hope is based on reason. It's not irrational. It's not just pulled out of thin air. It's not wishful thinking. Christian hope is what? Expectant waiting. Expectant waiting. So therefore, both the exiles in Jeremiah and us today, we can find ourselves sometimes wondering what is going on with our lives. Sometimes we feel like, like we're lost at sea. We're not sure what's going on. Some of us, we feel like we're in the dark. But if you remember the past, if you remember what Jesus has done, you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He experienced darkness. The world became dark when he hung on the cross, a kind of ultimate darkness, a kind of darkness you will never imagine. But he didn't run. He didn't abandon you in darkness. He endured it. Now, here's the, here's the hope, reasonable hope. If you believe in a Jesus who didn't abandon you in his greatest moment of darkness, the conclusion has to be, why would he abandon you now in your darkness. If he endured the greatest darkness, the deepest darkness, the darkest of darkness for us, and he didn't abandon you, why would he abandon you now in your own darkness? There's hope, and there's a future hope. The Lord will never forsake his people in exile. That's what Jeremiah was trying to tell them, and he's telling us he will never forsake us. Okay, now, let me try to be a little more practical here. So how does this Christian hope work out in our lives, right? A hope that God has a plan, a hope that's reasonable, a hope that, that has, based on the promises of God, uh, how, how do we work that out in our lives? How do we live with this? You know, uh, if you go to a, a, a secular psychiatrist, uh, one of the key words these days is what we call mindfulness. Mindfulness. You know what that is? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a buzzword now in, in, in non-Christian psychiatry, uh, especially when they counsel. Mindfulness. Many people want to learn about how to live in the moment. Most of us, they say, have a tendency, we, we tend to focus on the past. This is what it was like. This is what it was good. Or we, we look at the mistakes in the past and we're filled with regret. And, and then other people think about the future. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure what's going to go on. And, and so... Uh, when we find ourselves stuck in the past or, or anxious about the future, we, we miss the present. And so uh, secular psychiatrists want us to talk about being mindful, uh, mindfulness, that, that we need to be more aware of our present situation, right? 
uh, constantly thinking about the past and worrying about the future, it makes it difficult to enjoy good things now. Learning how to be more mindful and live in the moment can give you greater appreciation for your life, help reduce stress, and minimize anxiety. Right? And so that's, that's, that's the trend right now. Let's not think about the past. Let's not worry about the future. We need to focus here in the now. Because you live in the past, you're immobilized. You live for the future, you're anxious. But if you live for the moment, you might be able to enjoy The only problem I have with that is this. Our current culture, in some ways, the younger generation already knows this. We call it YOLO. You only live once. Now is all that matters. Live in the moment, yes, but now is all that matters. And when we do this, what happens? You're oblivious to the past or future, and you're irresponsible. Here's the thing. What if your hope is Christian hope? What if your concern about the future is based on a Christian future? Based on patient, expectant waiting in the promises of God. Here's how I think hope makes a difference. Um, One of the worst jobs I had was Burger King. I did it for uh, a summer. It was was horrible. It was horrible. I think I've told you this before. Uh, Flipping burgers, cleaning the bathroom, uh, you name it, I did it. Let's imagine you work at Burger King and there's a coworker of yours who's doing the same job you are. But you find out, and I found out too, you're getting paid minimum wage, but your coworker doing the same job is, I don't know, getting paid $1,000 a month, which was a lot back then. You know, minimum wage back in my day was $345. <laughs> so, so $1,000. Two people working the same job. And you ask the person making a minimum wage, how's life? It stinks. Barely making it. It's horrible. You ask the other guy doing the same job, making 1000 a month, how's your life? Isn't this work tedious? He's whistling. No, it's pretty good. It's easy. What's the difference? What's the difference? Two people... Same exact circumstance, different hope, different expectations of the future. Process completely different ways. Why? Because they have two different futures that they believe in. One thousand a month, one three forty-five an hour. Two different futures made a difference in how they experience life now. Same circumstances, but they interpret their circumstance in radically different ways. Why? Because their hopes for the future are totally different. Tim Keller says this, quote, We are hope-based creatures, and we live determined by what we believe is going to happen later. And the argument then is, What we think about the future will determine how we live right now. Hope impacts how we live now. Hope, generally speaking, is a vision for better days that changes us in the present. So, for example, if I'm hoping to get an A in my class, I should, it should motivate me to study right now. If I'm hoping to get a raise at work, it should motivate me to work harder now. If I want world peace, then it should motivate me to, I don't know, stop shouting at my spouse and kids right now. 
Hope isn't just a Christian thing. We all do it. We all do it all the time. In fact, it's hard to live without some kind of hope. But here's what I want to ask you, okay? What if you ask the question, what happens after I die? What if the future says, what if there's an afterlife? What if, what if there's an eternity after? If you believe in a future that has an eternity, shouldn't that be connected to how you live now? Let me give you an example. I got 36 inches of rope right here, 36 inches. This represents your whole lifetime, right, including an eternity. 36 inches, but one inch of that rope is about 80, 90, 100 years. Most of us live in that one inch, and we're so obsessed with it, and we're so consumed with it, right? And we're so, you know, affected by it, just that one inch, when we've got 35 more inches of world living. Eternity. And the scary thing is, the decisions you make in that one inch of your life, the decisions you make will affect how you will spend the rest of eternity. If you die, is that it? What if there's an afterlife? What if there's an eternity? Shouldn't that affect how you live now? To put it another way, okay, we're getting to the point. Biblical hope is living now in a way that is completely changed because of what you know will happen in God's ultimate future. Christian hope, unlike other kinds of hope, is not about the immediate things. It's about the ultimate things. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. What do you think Jeremiah was talking about? Go back to Jerusalem, that dump, after 70 years? This can't be it. Ultimate future. Christian hope has to do with the ultimate state, not just the immediate. But when we talk about hope, not only is it uncertain, we're always talking about the immediate. So we say things like, well, if I live a good life now, if I try hard and I give myself to the Lord, my salary will go up. Bad things won't happen to me. In other words, they think Christian hope is, if I live a good life right now, I will have peace and prosperity right now. Why? Because their hope is immediate. They want it for here and now. If that's what hope is, then think about this. There's only one person in history that actually lived a great life, who gave himself completely to the Lord, who did everything perfectly, godly, wonderful life, but he got rejected, he got betrayed, he got tortured, and then he died. Jesus said, a servant is not above his master. If they hated me, they will hate you. That can't be it. Immediate hope can't be it. Christian hope is ultimate hope. And it's certain hope. How do I know? Because that future, nothing you did to secure it. You didn't do enough to get it. You didn't good enough to get it. Nothing you did. Completely by grace. You didn't earn God's future and hope. What did he do? Jeremiah says, he gave it to you. He gave it to you. Ultimate hope. Now, we're going to process this a little bit in the following weeks. Like, if I really believe this, how does that affect the way I think about things now? Right? 
If I'm worried about my immediate future, how does the ultimate future come into play and help me to deal with things now? But what do we do in the meantime? Let me just end with this, two things. What does living with Christian hope look like today? You look in our passage, what did Jeremiah tell the people of God to do while they were in exile, while they were hoping, while they were singing and praying the lamentations? What what, did they do? Verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply their, don't decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. How does living with hope look like? (laughs) Jeremiah, get married, have families, live your life, increase, do good to the city, do good to your neighbors. Sounds so normal, doesn't it? John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus tells us, yet in this world you will have trouble. The ultimate hope for the Jewish people who were living in exile was more than just living in Babylon and making the best of it. The ultimate hope, how does it look like in their lives? Even though they did everything else as everyone else around them did, living life, getting married, relationships, working, contributing to the city, even though they look like everybody else, the difference in living with ultimate hope is this. They remembered who they were. They maintained their identity, their distinctiveness as the people of God in the midst of mundane life. They maintained their faith. Why? Because all the while they knew this world, even with all its troubles, they knew as they lived in it, was not their final home. So they were patient, and they waited, and they moved forward in life, but all the while putting their hopes in something, or I should say someone, more than just here and now. That's what it looked like, broadly speaking. And when trouble came into their mundane lives, when trouble came, and it will come, they banked on the hope of promise. Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. But what does it say after? Take heart, be encouraged, be brave. Why? Because I have overcome this world. The people of God were always a people who lived by hope. And it made a huge difference. And it wasn't just hope for things here and now. It was greater. It was more ultimate. And they really believed that. And that belief made a difference in how they lived. Not necessarily going out there and changing the world, but as they lived, as they lived, their hope wasn't something more. It persevered them 70 years. It perseveres them 100 years. It will persevere you in the next rest of your earthly life. I come to you from the future. If you are young, 
or younger than me. Because I don't think like this. I never thought like this when I was younger, right? Heaven, hope, eternally, ultimate thing. I, I didn't really think like that in those categories. But you talk to anyone who's in their 50s, you talk to anyone whose parents are older, you cannot escape that question. What's next? Is this it? You will not avoid the question, what did I do with all my life? Is there more? It may not be. If you're in high school, you're not thinking like this. I get it, because I wasn't, I wasn't either. But I guarantee you, I come to you from the future, you will start thinking about it. In all those years, one inch of your life, 80, 90 years, that's what you've been consumed with when you've got an eternity, and now you're going to think, maybe I did it all wrong. So I want to encourage you. Be a people of hope. Hope, ultimate hope, Christian hope. And it will give you the resource, I think, to endure the present, whatever comes your way. Next week, we'll talk about how to get it, how to get it. But let's end right there. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your love, your patience. Um, No matter how old we are, no matter how smart we are, no matter how wise we are, we always think we know what's best for us. And yet life teaches us different lessons. Sometimes those lessons are hard and difficult, and sometimes those lessons are so life-impacting. The only thing I would ask God is that you help us to learn those lessons earlier than later so we don't waste our life. So we could live with as least regret as possible in the relationships that we have, in the, in the conflicts that we, we, we go through with people, in, in, the, in the, the uncertainty of the economy and, and our work and how much it's tedious and hard. It, Lord, in our desires for marriage, uh, for, for children, for, for uh, a house, uh, all those valid, all those great, wonderful things you provide, God, and, and surely we could pray for them, but God, we pray, Lord, open our eyes to the plan of yours, the promises that you've made. Show us how actually those things do matter, can be practical, can, Lord, give us a little more insight and wisdom in how we deal with those things. Help us to be able to say like the people of faith and old, even as we endure sickness and pain and disease, even if we die, we have confidence everything will be okay because of a hope that only you can give. And you've given it to us. Because along with Jesus Christ, you have given us all things. So give us the strength to endure now. Give us the faith to not just look now, but look forward. Give us the wisdom to make good choices and decisions. Let those decisions, just don't make those decisions based on here and now, but maybe even bigger, maybe even more into the future. And along the way, even as we experience trouble, Remind us of the promise. Not only are you here with us, and you will be with us forever, 
which you have given to us a future and a hope. So let us persevere as exiles, as sojourners who live in a foreign land, who recognize ultimately this world can never be our final home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.